Hey, this is Chad Brown. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com. It's time for Distractions with Chad and Nate. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Now, here's Chad and Nate. Well, Chad, I was just distracted by one of our colleagues that we were catching up with out there, one of our esteemed, uh, well, media colleagues. We don't work for the same company, but we... uh, we're buddies, and the sun is shining out there, and uh, the players are trickling out here, getting ready to go. But the news came down today that Deshaun Watson is going to be suspended for six games. Um, this was a, a neutral judge who, who made this ruling, ruling that he violated the NFL's personal conduct policy and gave him six games. Now, this is being met with quite an outcry, an uproar, because, hey, man, let's just – Let's just create some context and compare some some suspensions. Calvin Ridley got a year for gambling, fifteen hundred bucks on a game, right? Deshaun Watson has twenty four open it had twenty four open sexual misconduct allegations against him. Uh, obviously, um, a creep. Okay, <laughs> a creeper. I'm trying to find some some like more formal language, right? But he was preying on women. Yep. And people around him knew it and were facilitating that. He settled 20 of those cases. Four of them apparently are still open. Now, last night, the NFLPA put out a statement, and they basically said to preempt this ruling, obviously they had caught wind of it, that it was rather lenient. The NFL put a uh, PA put out a statement basically saying um, the process was fair. We all reviewed the material. Everyone got a chance to argue their side. And so whatever the judge rules, accept it, NFL. Accept the ruling as it is. Don't, don't uh, you know, administer some more arbitrary punishment based on your whims. They use that word, the whim of the NFL uh, front off or the NFL offices or whatever. So clearly they knew it was going to be lenient. They were right. The NFL now has an opportunity to uh, dispute it. Um, they'll have three days to do so. Or Roger Goodell can meet out his own punishment that he sees fit. Because he is control this in control of this whole thing, I think six games is too light. Um, it's been uh, kind of icky from the start. The way the Cleveland Browns signed him to this kind of record-breaking deal, with all these allegations still pending, and the wording in the contract structured so that if he does have to sit out games this year, <laughs> I mean he's making a base salary this year, right? Right. So basically, they knew that this was coming down the pike. There's language in the contract. That protected them from all of them from that. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't taste right. But that's just me. What are your thoughts on it, Chad? All right. So some recent NFL suspensions give a little bit more context to this. Calvin Ridley, 17 games for betting on games. Vontez Burfitt, 12 games for targeting. DeAndre Hopkins, six games for a very trace amount of PEDs. Uh, Martavis Bryant, indefinitely for weed. Josh Gordon, 25-plus games for weed. Darren Waller, 16 games, substance abuse. Deshaun Watson, six games. So uh, it doesn't 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 pass the smell test as far as equi- uh, the the equivalencies of v- these violations and the suspensions. Now, for the independent ob- arbitrator Sue Robinson, uh, she did not base her decision on the 24 lawsuits that have been filed. It was based on the five cases that were brought by the NFL. So uh, she d- was only asked to look at that specifically, not the massive lawsuits uh, that are out there and all the accusations that are out there. She shows she made her decision based on a very narrow set of uh, accusations. 
But in the end, Roger Goodell and the league has given themselves some wiggle room to get out of this. And I understand where the PA is coming from. The PA has an obligation to fight for every player. Now, almost no matter what the player has done to fight to reduce that player's fines or suspensions, whatever the case may be, it's always been a difficult part of the PA's responsibility for me because some of the guys, I think, deserve what they get. In this case, uh, six games far seems far too lenient. And the fact that the PA has to come out and support this decision at a time where, uh, you know, we are definitely, you know, coming off of uh, some of the Me Too stuff, uh, some of the, uh, you know, the quotes and, and sayings of, you know, believe women, things like this, when there seems to be an overwhelming amount of evidence that Deshaun Watson, uh, to use your words, was at the very least being a creep, uh, and I've used the words uh, a, a predator of some sorts, choosing his victims via social media to prey upon them uh, and take advantage of his celebrity and his status and even get help by the Houston Texans in this pursuit of his to, uh, I suppose, have his sex with as many uh, massage therapists as he possibly could. And there's no real other way to talk about that. That's, that's the truth there. It's, uh, it's an ugly deal. Um, six games doesn't feel like it's enough for me at all. I'm hoping Roger Goodell actually steps in. And this feels weird saying this because 99.9% of the time I'm going to be on the side of the players. But in this case, it's a step too far. And Roger Goodell needs to add some more time to this for it to feel just comparing it to the list of suspensions that I just met read out a minute ago. Okay, so what do you think is a fair suspension then here? <sighs> I think a whole year is, is deserving in my mind. If you're going to take someone, you know, it, it's Darren Waller has been a model citizen after, you know, his uh, substance abuse issues and been a poster boy for the league. He was suspended for an entire year for his issues. And we sometimes, you know, substance abuse is referred to as a disease. You have to go get treatment for this disease that you have. I suppose there are some folks who will say, uh, Maybe Deshaun Watson has a sexual addiction, therefore he needs to be categorized the same way. But if that's if that's the case, there's no such thing as a sex addiction, I don't think. Well, I mean, I would imagine there's. I feel like people that's an excuse for people. There would be some psychologists addicted to it. I can't help it. There'd be some psychologists who would disagree with what you're saying. But if Darren Waller gets a year off for his addiction, how come Deshaun Watson doesn't get a year off for his addiction? Yeah. Um, So it it just six games feels way too light, considering the amount of accusers, what what he's been accused of, and. a clear track record of doing something that uh, I've never seen any other NFL player do. If it is about massage and about physical therapy, the teams have tremendous people at their disposal to get you all the best care that you could want. Russell Wilson doesn't fly into a new city and go on Instagram and try to figure out who can give him a massage. He flies his team out with them. The team gives those people hotel rooms at the away games. So that's what the Houston Texans should have been doing. Hey, guy. Find somebody you like and we'll accommodate them any way you can rather than setting you up with these women that you find on Instagram to quote-unquote give you a massage. Look, they knew it wasn't about massages for him. They, he, he had enablers uh, enabling this sick this sickness or addiction, as you call it. Look, we got a lot of texts coming in. There's one guy or one person, I imagine is a guy, 303-994, coming in. Three texts in a row. One, no laws were broken, so lighten up, Francis. Number two, being a creep isn't against the law. Asking for, uh, you know what, after a massage isn't against the law. He shouldn't get any games. <laughs> he shouldn't get any games. And there's another person saying he didn't break the law, so he shouldn't miss any games. What if this was your daughter, okay, who was a masseuse and who goes to a job 
and is confronted with this individual who's naked, who who is trying. I'm not going to reveal the uh, the details of his of his crap that he was doing, but it's really gross. You want to go and read the reports on what he was doing to these females? It's it's disgusting, and it was a pattern, and it went on and on and on and on. If you have 24 open allegations, how many women just didn't decide just decided not to get involved at all? Probably double that. So there's probably hundreds out there who've been around this behavior with him. Um, is it illegal? I would say it probably is illegal to put your to put your thing on someone who isn't prepared for it, who doesn't want it on them. Right. That is illegal. But aside from that, man. You know, I think it's our obsession with quarterbacks and finding the the unicorn quarterback that allows us to overlook some things like this. Um, I think he should, yeah. The whole year would be appropriate to me. I wouldn't think that would be too heavy-handed. Make him go and pay for what he did and change his behavior. Six games is really nothing to me. Uh, from one texter in the 720, these women know knew what the deal was. Uh, you can't prey upon the willing. Uh, Deshaun Watson bought some cat so let's crucify him it's just you know the 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 overt misogyny and sexism from some of these tweets is just uh sad i suppose um i'm not shocked i'm not surprised but it's a little saddening that this is the 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 case out there Uh, there are a number of folks who are bringing up uh robert Kraft. both you and i pushed back on robert Kraft very firmly when that news came out so i don't believe there's any double standard here um, the league may operate under a double standard, which they do. The owners can get away with what they want to get get away with. Deshaun Watson is clearly going to be punished. Um, but I'm not here to argue about um, Robert Kraft and what he did. I've already done that. Now I'm talking about Deshaun Watson and how wrong it was. Uh, if it was my daughter, uh, I would, uh, what does it say? He said, I would expect her to speak up immediately and not wait until there are 24 women to go through it. Once again, you talk before you know what you say. Is that me? I talk before I know what I say? Look, he is preying on, on girls and women. Isn't that, the, isn't that a fact? Isn't that a fact of a matter if there are 24 women and, you, and, you, and you'd be mad at your daughter for not speaking up immediately when a powerful man tries to take advantage of you and, tell, and basically can end you if he wants? Come on, bro. These women are being harassed. There's a reason why women don't come out and say things. It's because texts like that, suddenly if I don't speak up immediately, then I'm a liar. Uh, because I've waited for some or w- more women who can provide me with some courage and some backup on Katie. So uh, it's a little disappointing to, to see these texts. Again, I'm not shocked. I'm not surprised. Uh, but I'm disappointed by the, the lack of humanity by, by some folks out there on the text line. All right. We'll put that one to best. Let's get back to the Broncos. Put that one to bed. The Broncos are back on the field. Uh, it is a upper's day. Shoulder pads are on. Uh, no uh, leg pads out here today. When we come back, we'll give you more of the sights and sounds from Bronco Training Camp Week 2. Live from UC Health Training Center, Elite Sportsbook presents Training Camp 2022. Ready to ride. Here's Chad and Nate. Uh, the text continued to pour in after our distraction segment about Deshaun Watson. Uh, I think we said we're going to put that one to bed. Uh, it's more of the same from the folks who have some strong feelings about uh, the women and the veracity of the stories that they're telling. So we'll just... Well, let's be clear. I mean, the type of person who's going to text in support of Deshaun Watson in this case probably has their own stuff going on that they're trying to project. Look, the majority of people are not okay 
with a man of power taking advantage of vulnerable women in those types of positions. So let's just call it how it is. Those textures don't represent our listeners. Thank goodness. All right. So uh, we are <laughs> watching the quarterbacks warm up here. Uh, quarterbacks and running backs and centers going through their uh, all the various ways that quarterbacks uh, exchange the ball with running backs. Uh, getting snaps from under center, working on their footwork there. Uh, Russell Wilson continues to be a footwork genius and absolute footwork superstar. The repetitive, clean James nature Maryland. of his footwork, the fact that it doesn't vary, it is always spot on. Even, you know, standing next to all the quarterbacks, you can clearly see just how efficient and how dialed in his footwork is. It's a, just a pure football pleasure to watch. You think his footwork's different from Josh Johnson and Brett Rippon? It is. Noticeably? It is. Okay. It is. And even in this drill, it's not full speed. Just the efficiency of it all, the, the, the cleanness of it is just, I'm amazed every single time. You know, the, the guy's played a ton of football. He's only missed, what, three games yep. or something like that in 10 years. First quarterback ever to 100 wins. He's had a lot of experience. And the fact that he is undersized, the fact that he was a third-round pick, the fact that he is a khaki pants quarterback, Jack, Jack, Chad, yep. whatever your name is. <laughs> um, khaki pants quarterback, Jack. No, man, he's had to rely on that. He's had to rely on his technique, his hard work, his fundamentals to be able to overcome his physical limitations, which is his size. Who's a prototypical quarterback out there, right? Justin Herbert. Right. 6'5", 230, lock, rocket arm, right? That is not Russell Wilson. He plays a different brand of football. What it shows you is there's different brands of football that work. And his is a very efficient brand of movement. This guy... There you go. The air horn going through the next period there. This guy has no wasted movements on a football field. He sees things develop very well. You know, sometimes Russell Wilson will be back there. He'll, he'll see something. He'll just tuck the ball and take off running with purpose exactly where he's trying to go, and he'll slide in the spot where he was trying to get there. Nobody gets to him. He never gets hit really hard. He just has a very good spatial awareness out there, and they, they got to practice that with him to understand his tendencies getting out of the pocket and whatnot. But you're right. He has impeccable footwork, and it shows up. Just the, the efficiency and the thought behind some of the Russell Wilson stuff. Where he takes that ball as he's running out of bounds, and he sticks it out a yard extra. Yeah. So the ball goes out a yard before he goes out. He gains an extra yard just simply by being smart and doing the first quarterback that I've seen that ever did that. Take advantage of the sideline. Know it's going to give you that protection. But just extend that ball one more yard to gain one more yard before you step out and keep yourself safe and live for the next down. Uh, There's just a lot to be said for this guy's. Uh, thought process, his training, his adherence to it. And again, uh, I've been talking about his footwork since the very first practice of this offseason that I was out here, had a chance to see. Uh, that's the separator from him from other quarterbacks. When you don't have the incredible height, when you don't have that, that Justin Herbert kind of size, you've got to find a way to be as efficient and as clean as possible. And for a quarterback, your platform that you throw off of uh, it allows you to be accurate, allows you to throw out of a well if you've got to throw behind taller offensive linemen and all those things that shorter quarterbacks have to do. It's his footwork and his platform that allows him to be successful with that. Yeah, and probably part of the reason they, they're, they're scrapping seven on seven because that's not how Russ plays. He doesn't really play from inside the pocket like that. He wants to get out of there, so you need to get the rest of the offense clicking with those tendencies. How does Russell play? He plays on the run. He likes to move the pocket. He likes to create movement uh, of the defensive lineman around him, shuffle around in the pocket, break the pocket, run for a first down, make you think he's running, and then ditch it. 
Uh, and so that's a very, very different process than playing with a quarterback like Peyton Manning, playing with a quarterback like Tom Brady where everything is on time, everything is on schedule. If they don't like what they see, they don't take off running, they ditch the ball. Or they just fall down, right? And then you come back to the huddle and you do it again. It's a different philosophy a philosophy of playing football. There are different ways to be good at football. Josh Allen, more of that Russell Wilson kind of approach of, hey, if it ain't there, I'm going to go find something that is. Patrick Mahomes as well. Deshaun Watson as well. Um, so so Lamar Jackson as well. Like there's, there's different ways to play the quarterback position. What's most important is that your team is on the same page with you and can play the brand of football that you play. First appearance of shoulder pads here in training camp. Uh, so five days in, four days last week, took yesterday off. Uh, now here on a Monday, shoulder pads are on. No uh, pads in the pants, so just uppers today. Uh, in your camp experience, uh, I've always found the first day that pads come on, the intensity and the energy and the physicality gets turned up. And somewhere in that process, the mental part, gets left behind. Yeah, we, we will probably see some guys jump off sides, which we haven't seen a whole lot of that. There may be a couple of mental mistakes, alignment mistakes, uh, running route mistakes. There's something that happens to your brain when you put those pads on that you just aren't as clean as you were Ooh. when those pads were off. You feel that base, that yes. base, getting these dudes ready as they're going through their uh, Jane Fonda calisthenic stretching right now in front of us. Look, um, sometimes simple is better in life and in football. When you have a really complex game plan, you're filling them up with all these things in their minds, you get them out there on the field, you make a lot of mistakes for the reason you described. You're putting on full pads. What's the most pressing issue? Not your assignment, but not getting your butt kicked. <laughs> defending yourself Self-preservation. Against, defending yourself against a physical attack from another large human who's coming to take your lunch. Right. Right, so that's what these guys are going to be dealing with now that the pads are on and the mental stuff does take a backseat. You will some mental uh, mistakes, but that is a good indicator for coaches on how to scale back the mental part. You want to simplify it for your players. You want them to cut loose and focus on the task at hand, which is winning your one-on-one matchups. It's not always about the study part of it. It's not always about the classroom that helps you win the one-on-one battles. It's getting in touch with that athlete that got you here in the first place. When you put on the pads, it gets you in touch with that guy. It really does. It really does. So we are beginning to see, I guess, the, the, the beginnings of real football with pads and all that. Uh, obviously, football has changed, and they're limited what they can do uh, game, uh, day in and day out from a practice perspective. But the first day of pads, this rampant period, is getting going. I'd imagine the offensive and defensive lines will be doing some banging now. Uh, the physicality of drills will begin to step up once we get into team periods. It won't be just, hey, I would have blocked that guy. Yeah, coach, I got him. Now you got to show the coaches you can actually do with the pads on, with some equipment, uh, put your body on another human being and enforce and impose your will upon them. So that's the next phase of football that's coming. Uh, it's always an exciting time for me because, yeah, I appreciate the athleticism that we see in non-padded practice. Um, but football ultimately is won and lost up front. In now the trenches. In the trenches. And so now we begin to see that aspect uh, reveal itself in some of these battles that are going on. Uh, we had Mike Liss on talking about uh, Moody and Miners at right guard. Now, it's impossible to evaluate those guys without the pads on. Now the pads yep. are on. We can see the next step in that competition coming out. Uh, whenever Greg Dulcich gets a chance to return to practice, we'll see if he's able to deal with the physical demands of blocking an edge guy on the edge. We know you can run fast and look great in your short shorts, Greg, but can you knock an edge guy off the ball to create an off-tackle space for, for a run? That is where we're getting to now. 
Well, those those are the arguments in favor of having physical practices because there are guys like Greg Dulcich who need it. You want to win on Sundays? You want to put him in the game and have him be an integral part? Of your victory, well, he has to do it out here. Quinn Miners, who played D3 football and then took a year off before getting here, he needs that work. He's not ready for the demands of the game. You saw last year he made a ton of mistakes, right? But he has the potential. How does that potential turn into production out here on the practice field? So they got these pads on. They got the helmets on. They also got the guardian caps on, which I wasn't sure if they were going to wear while they have their pads on as well. But they do have those guardian caps on, trying to preserve their brains, which I applaud. All right, when we come back, uh, the Broncos had a linebacker in for a visit over the weekend. What does this mean? Are they happy with their depth? Are they just kicking tires on guys? We'll talk about that next. Live from UC Health Training Center, Elite Sportsbook presents Training Camp 2022, ready to ride. Here's Chad and Nate. The Broncos had in... Joe Sherbert, 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 over the weekend. Sherbert? Sherbert. Sherbert. No, uh, Sherbert, Sherbert? Ah, I don't know. Close. Anyway, he played last year with the Steelers. Uh, 112 tackles for the Steelers last season. Uh, He's been a 100-plus tackle-a-year guy uh, since his second year in the league in 2017. Um, Didn't sign him. uh, But so far, as we were talking with Mike Kliss, uh, the starting linebackers of Josie Jewell and Jonas Griffin seem to be pretty well solidified. So uh, I'm not sure if there is a need from a starter standpoint, but certainly I think when guys are available who have the production that Joe has had over the last couple of years, if you're George Payton, you've got to kick the tires, see what the guy's got, uh, and can he be our third or fourth linebacker and help us some way in the future? Yeah, I think that's just being a diligent GM, you know, and trying to always cover all your bases and trying to always strengthen your team and at least get a, you know, like you said, kick the tires on a guy who could end up helping you in the future or, or, you, or you kick the tires on him, you realize that you don't want him around. So it's good to get face-to-face with, with players out there who you might not know see what kind of shape they're in, see how they may fit into your scheme, and then in the eventuality of injuries, because we are going to have injuries. There are players who we talk about every day as being an integral part of the success of this Broncos team who are going to get hurt and who may miss the whole season or four weeks or eight weeks or whatever it is. And as a GM, you always have to be preparing for that and creating as much of a stacked roster as you can with as many good football players as you can because you're going to need all of them. Yeah, there was so much turnover at the inside linebacker position, so many injuries. Uh, it definitely hurt the Broncos considerably last year, so I'm not surprised that George Payton is going to take advantage of guys who are available and on their couches to see what they can possibly add uh, to this Bronco team. And again, even if you're just looking down the road at possible eventualities, maybe somebody gets hurt, uh, maybe we want to, uh, you know, uh, there's a way we can improve our linebacker, inside linebacker room overall by bringing this guy in and beginning to have that kind of discussion. Those kind of things are critical from a GM perspective. Uh, it's not always uh, necessarily you bring a guy in and sign him right away. Uh, you have a chance to look back at your roster, see how guys progress through camp, see what they're looking like before you decide to make those kind of moves. Yep, um, but really it's about these dudes in front of us now. And uh, K.J. Hamler just with a nice one-handed grab. Coach Zani, the receiver coach, has him going through some catching drills, which I love. Only four dudes out there right now. The rest of the receivers are in a special teams drill. They're doing punt on the other side of the field. But right in front of us, you got you got your big four receivers. You got Tim Patrick. You get Corlin Sutton. You got Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler. 
all four of those dudes and their coach going through some ball drills, um, which you love to see. These guys get paid to catch the football. I want to see these guys catching the ball today. Great to see KJ back out there. It's always nice when one of your brothers, man, he gets off that injury list. He's out back out there with you guys. That's where you feel like you are worth something as an athlete. When you're rehabbing an injury, going through a different routine than your buddies, having to get here early, just hanging out in the training room. What Mike Kliss told us last hour was that guys on PUP, they can't even do walkthroughs. Nope. And so if you want to incorporate K.J. Hamler into a walkthrough just to get him up to speed with the mental part of it, you can't even do that until he's off the pup list. So he's out there on the field today. He's in his shoulder pads. He's got his helmet on. He's wearing number one. He's got a knee brace on his left leg. But this guy is faster than everyone out there. Presents a, a mismatch every time he's out there. Last year, before he got hurt, I went out to Minnesota and watched those practices. He was by far the quickest, fastest guy out on the field. He just jumped off the field. Um, to me, when I watched him play, he gets in and out of his break so fast. He gets the top speed so fast. And I think Russell Wilson's really going to appreciate having a guy like him out here. The uh, process of, of PUP is an odd one. I was on PUP uh, after I uh, came back from my Liz Frank injury, started camp on PUP. The year before, I had the Liz Frank, missed the, the second half of the season in Seattle, uh, started the next year. Uh, and you're not allowed to do anything with coaches. Um, so uh, you can only work with the trainers. You can't do anything during the practice time. You can do after on the field before or after, but you can't do it with any coaches. And, in fact, uh, the Seahawks got a letter from the NFLPA because I was working on some of the sleds, and coaches were nearby. Uh, they weren't directing the drill, but they were close enough where the PA uh, let them know that uh, they were in a close, uh, uh, closely, uh, I suppose, in, in by closely towards violating the rules of the PUP. So for K.J. Hamler to get off of this doesn't necessarily mean a, a immediate return to practice, but it doesn't mean that you can start to doing football stuff with coaches. You mentioned the uh, left knee brace, kind of dragging that leg around a little bit, not awfully, but just a little bit there, a little bit of giddy-up on his stride. I think as you begin to gain comfort with that knee brace, we certainly saw Corlin Sutton kind of dragging that leg around a little bit early last year as well when he was wearing the knee brace. Well, what you're also seeing out there is Greg Dulcich suited up and ready to practice with his shorts pulled up real, real high. Um, but he's got his shoulder pads on. He's got his helmet on. He's got his guardian cap on. And he's going through individual drills with the tight ends. And so that's a really good sign to get this guy out of here or out here now. And, uh, you know, maybe he won't take a ton of reps, but just having him out here going through some individuals is huge. As a defensive player, Chad, now that the shoulder pads and the helmet are on, you spent four, four practices without it going up against offensive linemen who didn't have those on themselves. How does that change what you do out here today? Well, it moves the, the interaction between these guys between a, a kind of a positioning hypothetical to now it's you know beginning to be real football. Leverage, low pad level, hand strike, all those things that you don't do when you're not wearing the pads. And the best teams, particularly now because of the, the restrictions on padded practices in the CBA, have to learn how to practice and be efficient without pads. But you have to also be able to take advantage of the times when you do put the pads on and begin to step up and hone your techniques because the game is played on Sundays in pads. So these limited windows of opportunity that you get with the pads on, you have to take advantage of that, whether it's working in your individual periods or particularly, to your point, when you're going on uh, a competitive period, these team periods that this Bronco team is going to have, your offensive line and defensive line have to be efficient with the padded work of, of learning and, and understanding how to 
physically dominate a man who's wearing pads. So the first couple days went to the defense, and there were a lot of people saying, look, the defensive line is manhandling the offensive line, especially the right side of the line, having a hard time blocking them. It, are, do things get equaled out a little bit now with the pads on? Are the offensive line now going to get uh, a chance to kind of even the score there? Did the defense have an advantage without the pads on rushing the passer? The defense does have an advantage uh, without the pads because you could just kind of shoot a gap. And that offensive lineman doesn't have the, the pads on, so he can't just thump you like he normally would. It becomes a, a quickness contest. Once the pads come on, now there's an equalizer. That offensive lineman is now wearing enough pads to be able to step in front of you and absorb that contact and punishment, in some ways deliver some of it back onto you. So there, that becomes the equalizer. You're not just shooting off through a gap, playing a, a little, uh, you know, hey, you missed me kind of game with the offensive lineman. Now you've actually got to engage. And from a defensive line perspective, you've also got to engage because so often defenses require defensive linemen to engage and hold that offensive lineman so the linebackers can then escape and run free. That's how linebackers make tackles in the backfield because that defensive lineman engaged the offensive lineman in front of them and then allow those guys to get up to the second level. So what we're seeing right now is all the all the individual groups broken up doing different drills together. Uh, the DBs uh, they're they're doing a pick up a fumble drill. They're dropping a ball on the ground. Those guys are grabbing it, and um, in front of me, this is the thing I was talking about. The receivers are doing a drill where they're picking up a chair and shuffling back and forth. Okay, you can you can tell me if that is a practical football drill or not. Maybe it has. I'm sure it has a purpose. Something I haven't ever seen before, though. Picking up a chair, shuffling back and forth. Uh, that is uh, pure WWE when you pick up a chair as an athlete. So that one, uh, I'm, I'm not seeing that one. That one's not making a lot of sense to me. Coach Azani is certainly very creative uh, with his use of props. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 <laughs> the old school guy, I mean, he goes, no. We're not, no, we're not doing chairs, not doing PVC pipes, man. There is a football element to what we need to do in our individual period and carrying a chair is not part of it okay so now they've added the new element to that which is drop the chair and just do the shuffle back and forth with a quick feet and stuff like that so obviously these are progressive drills that are meant to get you better at the top of your route um when you're trying to get off a man press and things like that with your hips and your quick feet um and you know i just want Corlin sutton to remember that he's bigger stronger faster, can jump higher than anyone who's covering him, and he needs to bully them, okay? Take their lunch money. Don't pick up the chair and shuffle. Pick up the chair, like you said, and smash it over his head, okay? Because <laughs> it's your world out there, Corlin. It's your world out there, Tim Patrick. Those are our number one and number two receivers right now. We give a lot of attention to Jerry Judy because of where he was drafted and the potential and the drama around it. But what we really need is Corlin Sutton to return to form. And I want to see him out there today, now that the pads are on, going up high and catching that ball with his hands like he, like we know he can do. Uh, this defense didn't get very many turnovers last year. Every practice so far this year, I've seen at least two or three turnover-focused periods. When we come back, we'll talk about how instructive that is and how well that plays into the regular season of what you do in training camp, what you emphasize, tends to play out during the season. That's next. Live from UC Health Training Center, Elite Sportsbook presents Training Camp 2022, Ready to Ride. Here's Chad and Nate. Our analysis of Training Camp 2022, Ready to Ride, is presented by Elite Sportsbook. Uh, the uh, Broncos last season were not uh, towards the top of the league in turnovers defensively. Uh, every practice that I have seen so far, and I've, I've seen everyone from our vantage point here in the fan 
tents on the south sideline of the UC Health Training Center. Every defensive practice has started with some kind of turnover-focused drills. And in my experience, you are what you emphasize as a football team. If you tend to emphasize turnovers in a real way and it's constantly hammered into guys' heads and you do the drill work to back it up on the field, that tends to play out well during the regular season. Yeah, and this has been a deficiency with this Broncos team, hasn't it, um, causing turnovers, especially under Vic. And it's, it's interesting that that's the case because he is the best ball coach we've ever seen. <laughs> um, but but it, I think it's a philosophy, like what you emphasize and and what you stress and then, you know, just turning these guys into ball hawks. And, yeah, I love it. I love the ball drills with the DBs on the ground, up in the air, tip drills, all that stuff. you got to get them hungry for it. you got to get them ready for it. Coach Shanahan used to incentivize us with little, you know, monetary incentives during practice. If you punch the ball out, the guy who got who, the fumble the ball has got to give you a little cash, things like that, um, to create an incentive for both sides, one to hold on to the ball and for the other side to punch it out. But uh, those turnovers end up being the difference a lot of times between winning and losing. And so practicing it now, getting these guys – with that ball hawk mentality, you look at Pastor Tan. He looked. I mean, he's he's what six two. I mean, every bit of six two, and very long, very instinctive. Justin Simmons as well. Those guys can go up and get the ball. If you have a DB with ball skills, just like when you have a receiver who's physical and can block, it creates an advantage for your team. Typically, you don't think your corner is going to be that guy, a guy who goes and gets the ball. So if he does, if he if he is that guy, that's an advantage for you. Receivers hate that guy. I want my DB with two left feet on his hands. You know what I'm saying? I want a DB who can't catch a cold. I want to. <laughs> but uh, so when I got a guy who actually has ball skills, can right. track it, can turn, could go get it as high as point, that makes my job harder. And uh, so I love to see these guys going after the ball like they're doing right now. Yeah, you need DBs with that, you know, my ball mentality that Cecil likes to talk about, not just from a receiver perspective, but from a defensive back perspective. Yeah, we saw the defensive line kind of going, working their pass rush stuff, and then as a defensive lineman, your opportunities when you get near the quarterback. Quarterbacks have terrible ball security. They're thinking about throwing the ball down the field. So it's not just enough to get the sack, get the ball out at the same time, and then also we want to be able to scoop and score with that thing as well. So the defensive linemen were working on that earlier. Uh, I wish that was a part of my football training earlier in my career. By the time I got to the NFL, I was so focused on just hitting the quarterback, trying to deliver as much of a blow as possible. I wasn't really good at getting the ball out. That kind of emphasis came later in my career, and I began to get better at it. But these guys, I think, have probably have had that honed and, and pushed in their brains since their time uh, in youth football, where, yes, it's important to get to sacks, it's important to get to the quarterback, but let's take the ball from them at the exact same time. Uh, when the pads are on, that's when you begin to start punching at the ball with the ball carriers, stripping at the ball from the receivers. So the pads are on. Hopefully we'll begin to see that emphasized by the coaches all practice long. That sets that mental mindset. When we get in the game, if there's an opportunity, I see somebody with some uh, poor ball skills, I can just take that thing from them right there during the, uh, the pace of the game. Yeah, you see Greg Dulcich off there in the distance. I saw him catch a little, uh, little, little stick route and then finish up field. Looking like he's running a little gingerly. This guy is um, faster, you know, for lack of a better term, than most tight ends out there. That's why they brought him here, because he does have better high-end speed. He is a pass threat. He's coming back from a hamstring that bothered him enough to not be out there for the first three days of training camp. So you've got to wonder how much it's going to bother him. Hamstrings are very, very temperamental. you got to be real careful with that thing. So hopefully they're easing him into it. And But what this could do for Greg 
is allow him to focus on the other things. Don't worry about getting to top end speed. Focus on being a savvy route runner. Focus on taking your time. Focus on seeing the field in front of you. You are faster than these guys, so you don't have to worry about being there quick. You're always going to be there quicker than everyone. Slow it down in your mind. See the play develop in front of you. Take your time out there. Your coaches understand the injury you're dealing with. They don't need you to go show your speed out there today. What they need you to do is be available tomorrow. So be out there today. Understand your limitations. Work on your footwork and your blocking. Stick your head in there a little bit and get physical in the running game. And let's get this ball rolling for Greg Dulcich to be a part of this team. I see the offensive lineman on the far field beginning to warm up, and they are actually going at it a little bit, kind of simulating a uh, a pass rush get off from a defensive lineman. It's just offensive linemen going against each other now. But again, the pads are on. First practice with the pads. The physicality is beginning to step up a little bit, even if it's just within a position group. The offensive lineman is starting to bang down there on that far field. Starting to bang, man. That's what football's about. It's exciting. The base is heavy. Um, and so pretty soon, I think, you know, right when we go off air, they're probably going to come together for the extended team periods that are really uh, kind of identified the back half of the way that Nathaniel Hackett structures practice. The first almost hour is just heavy individual stuff, you know, with some special team stuff, but it's all drill work. So it is interesting that they don't like seven on seven, but they do like an hour of individual stuff. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. It's uh, football has just changed uh, over time, and I think obviously for the for the better. The first day of pads should not be Oklahoma drills. No, like I you know started with and an Pop Warner in high school. That was ridiculous. Um, the pace of this ramp up here seems a little slow, but this is what it has been mandated and agreed upon in the collective uh, collective bargaining agreement between the union, the players, and the uh, the teams. So this is what we get now in today's football, this slower ramp up here. But there will be physical football that will come as training camp rolls along. Um, well, just by the nature of having shoulder pads and a, and a helmet on, it, it makes it more physical. These guys are finally – and that's th- – there's a feel of having shoulder pads on, like for a receiver, for example. To go up high and catch a ball is a lot different when you have shoulder pads on your shoulders than it is when you don't. There's a restriction there a little bit on your shoulders, and you'll see a lot of receivers wearing those, like, Pop Warner shoulder pads to have as much freedom with their shoulder and arm movement as possible. But it is a little bit of a restriction there. It's something you've got to get used to. And putting your body on somebody. Um, absorbing a hit, you know, thudding up. They call it thudding up. You're going to see some thudding up today, and you're going to see a running back get through the hole and hopefully get thudded up a little bit. You'll get to see Javante Williams um, a little more clearly. You'll get to see Melvin Gordon a little more clearly. All these running backs, you'll see the holes close more um, realistically. Hopefully, we're going to see these guys um, running into each other. That's what football is about. It's about running into each other with technique, and these offensive linemen can finally start to get on the same page in that regard. Seeing the very first beginnings of tackling drills beginning to take shape. Defensive backs are tackling a pad being held by coaches. Linebackers are hitting the sled, separating from the sled, and then going out and attacking the other linebacker uh, who's showing them a kind of a running back look. So the beginnings of tackling drills are coming along. Proper technique, proper footwork, head on the correct side, driving with your shoulder, all those kind of technique-based things that uh, need to be kind of reinstalled early on in camp so you can hit the tackling sleds here in the next couple days with some real efficiency and some technique. So who are the camp darlings the first couple days? I, I, I think it was Eric Saubert, right? Right, yeah. And I'm, I'm anxious to see if he's going to keep that going because when the pads come on, obviously he is a more physical tight end. 
He's going to have more um, play in the running game. He's going to be relied upon to be the strong side point man on a lot of running plays. He and Eric Tomlinson. So let's see how if he's able to keep that going and make a name for himself out here because he has established himself early on as a guy with a good connection with Russell Wilson. Ultimately, Russell is the guy who's going to probably determine which guys are out there on game day or at least have heavy input into it. Who do I feel comfortable with? When I break the pocket, who do I look for? And who has a feel for where I move when I do break the pocket? Because there is a feel for that. We used to call it the scramble drill. Well, every play with Russell Wilson is a scramble drill. Potentially, absolutely. Yes, so so you got to be ready to break off your route early. you got to be ready to slide whichever direction he's going to change what you're doing on the fly. That's schoolyard football. they got to be having both sides of the coin covered here. Uh, Eric Saubert, uh, to your point, t- uh, two touchdowns in the first two days of camp looked really good. Their connection with Russell Wilson was certainly there. But sometimes there's guys who star without pads, and once the pads come on, they tend to disappear. I don't think Eric Saubert's going to fit into that category. But there's always an ebb and flow to guys during training camp. We'll see if he's able to maintain what he put together a tremendous first week, open a lot of the media's eyes. Uh, everyone thought him as just kind of a... Uh, run blocking kind of guy, but shown his uh, skills in the pass catching department as well. Maybe the best dual threat tied in on this roster. Yeah, best dual threat. Uh, I had a, we had a show on Saturday. You weren't here. I was here with John Davis, and we had Michael Ojemudia and got to interview him after practice. And I was talking to him about his technique versus different receivers, playing man coverage versus a big guy versus a small guy. And he said he appreciated or he, he preferred going up against the big guys because he could get hands on them. He knew he could get hands on them and influence their direction, and they weren't going to run away from him necessarily. What he didn't what he didn't like was the guys like Jerry Judy who gave him a lot at the line of scrimmage. You have to understand what they're doing and be patient on the moves they're giving you, but also not too patient that you think he's a, you're waiting for him to do another move and he doesn't do that move and he just runs right by you. <laughs> so there's a cat and mouse game always with these guys at the line of scrimmage and I know that's why Coach Azani does all those things like lifting up the chair and doing all the tennis balls and the PVC pipes to win at the line of scrimmage. Once you win at the line of scrimmage, though, man, you got to get down the field, and it's about timing. And so I'm hopeful that the timing is coming together with these guys. This offense, the West Coast system, predicated on the timing. And Russell Wilson has to catch up to what these other quarterbacks in the division have got going. Well, that's it for Nate and I. The first uh, almost hour of Bronco cra- uh, practice is done. Uh, really focused on the individual stuff, getting guys, I think, used to the shoulder pads. First day of the shoulder pads making an appearance. So uh, we were going to hand this thing over to Stokely and Zach. Those cool dudes, they're next. Hey, this is Nate Jackson. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com.